0: Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4 as we continue our study in the book of Galatians. Galatians 4, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 20 this morning. A little bit bigger chunk than we've been doing, but that's how it works out sometimes. Galatians 4, 8 through 20. Before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him again in prayer and ask for His help. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come together as your covenant people to consider your holy word, we pray that you would be here with us. We are a people who are so easily convinced of the wrong thing, even when we have the right thing so plainly before us. So Lord, we need your help today as we open your word. We pray that you would make us more like yourself, that you would change us through your word so that we would not drift away from you, but that we would grow more and more in your mercy and in your grace. Lord, help us to to know that, help us to see that from the pages of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I read through Galatians 4, it made me think of a story that some of you have probably seen the movie or you've seen the play or maybe even some of you have read the book and it's the story of Les Miserables. And the main character is a man by the name of Jean Valjean and he is a prisoner and he is originally a prisoner for stealing bread and then because he tried to escape sometimes he served up to 19 years in prison. Working in these work camps and then he, at the very outset of the story, I'm not spoiling a whole lot, I'm just at the very beginning, he, uh, is set free from prison and he struggles with life on the outside and eventually he finds this warm place to stay in the home of a bishop and while he's there he seizes the opportunity to steal a bunch of silver from the bishop and is promptly caught and brought back into the bishop and the bishop hands him two extra candlesticks and says, you forgot these, and tells him to go make an honest man of himself. Well, right after he leaves there, he sees a coin on the ground that a little boy dropped, and he keeps the little boy from getting the coin, thus stealing the coin from the little boy, right after he was given so much mercy. The story continues throughout the entire thing, it's, and the primary theme is... Valjean's lifelong pursuit of shaking his criminal past, of resting in the freedom that he has. A Very strong redemptive story. Movie's great, play is great. Uh if you prefer the book, uh then it's fifteen hundred pages, maybe something to tackle this summer if you're interested in that. But very good, highly recommended. Uh his story is very similar to our own, criminals who are set free and but who struggle with that freedom. And we show that struggle by continuing to want to live lives like a criminal. In fact, in many ways, we long for those shackles again. We want them. There's comfort in those shackles, at least is the way we see it. We long to look through the prison bars rather than experience the freedom that we have in Christ. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is wrestling with the Galatian churches over this very issue. In our text today, we see a bit of Pastor Paul coming out as he kind of takes a corrective tone with the Galatian churches. And I think it's very instructive for us. We'd be, we'd do well to have Pastor Paul come in here and we have that. We have the Word of God here before us because we demonstrate these very same tendencies. And he gives us examples and speaks of his own pain even when shepherding Those churches, not only are these words an apostle to the churches, but these are the words of living God to his people. So as we walk through this, we're going to consider two points, considering our relationship with God and then second, our relationship with one another. So with that, let's look together at the text Galatians chapter four or chapter four, starting at verse eight. Please stand with me in the honor of reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 4 starting at verse 8 Formerly when you did not know God you were enslaved to those who were by nature who by nature are not gods but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more You observed days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus what then has become of your blessedness for i testify to you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me have i then become your enemy by telling you the truth they make much of you but for no good purpose they want to shut you out that you may make much of them it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for context... One of the primary themes of Galatians is the concept of sonship, and we've been looking at it for the last several weeks, that as Christians we have this spirit of sonship because we have received the adoption as children of God. Obviously this extends not only to the men in the faith, but also to the women of the faith. As sons and daughters of God, we share in the divine inheritance of Christ. Because of our union to Christ, the scripture calls us joint heirs with Jesus. But there's another component to this. We don't simply have a legal arrangement with God. It's not as if he signed the adoption papers, the legal papers concerning our adoption, and then left us on our own to fend for ourselves as we wait here to go to heaven one day. Sadly, much of evangelical Christianity acts this way as we have placed a premium on the day and time that we have that salvation experience rather than living a life of faith. And this has only been exacerbated by things like social media. And sayings make their way around the world much faster than they used to and definitely much faster than God's word does anymore. And one of those sayings is, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm sure you've heard that before. And while the spirit of that saying is good, the outworkings of it have not been. That mentality has created a church that sees little value in gathering, in the gathering of the saints, like we are here today, the corporate worship and the ministry of his word, and much more value on sentimentality, on mysticism, on Feeling close to God and not needing anything else in order to do that. It's just me and my friend God. In the name of relationship, we have exchanged truth for feelings. Which is very similar to what's going on in the Galatian churches that Paul was dealing with. And Paul gives us a very good example here. That brings us to the first point, our relationship with God. Look again at verses 8 and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Again, Paul is working with this picture of enslavement because it's a powerful picture. It really is the only way to describe our state before Christ, the state that we continue to live in even after Christ, by choice. And that's what he is telling the Galatians here. That's why he's so perplexed, as he says in verse 20. He's just, he just doesn't understand what's going on. He's confused by them. In verse 8, he says that we're enslaved by those who by nature are not gods. What is he alluding to here? Well, he's alluding to false gods. Right? He's going to continue to build upon that more as we go through the text. But first he contrasts that enslavement with our current status with God. That enslavement to false gods is the exact opposite of being known by the one true God. And notice how he frames this. But you not, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known By him, it wasn't as if one day we stumbled upon the God of the universe by happenstance. Oh, there he is. Well, okay then, that's not how that worked. Or even according to our reason. You've heard some people say, well, i studied all the things and i come to a reasonable conclusion that this is the one true God. I'm proud of you, but you didn't do that on your own, brother or sister. You did that because you were first known by him. Philip Ryken, in his commentary, uses an illustration of an orphanage. Imagine a man visiting an orphanage and adopting one of the children there. And there had been no previous relationship between the man and the child. There was now a legal relationship between a parent and a child. Not only that, the father will take that child home and make available all of his resources to the child, as a parent does. Right? The child has the option of growing up in a home with a father and every kind of provision Right? in, in that spirit of adoption. All because of the father's initiative in that relationship. We can't talk about this enough because... Behind this, this is, this is, every time we sin, this is, this is the idea that we leave behind when we sin. That the Creator calls us child. Yet we don't always want to call Him Father. We keep saying things like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. We say that on our lips, but in our back pocket, we have our plans to please Him. And to make our relationship better with him. Doesn't make any sense. Is there any way that an adopted child can make themselves more adopted by doing something? Could you imagine one of your children, adopted or otherwise, coming up and saying, I want to be more of a son or a daughter to you than I currently am. How can I do that? How can I make myself more of a daughter? than I currently am to you. It's a question that doesn't even really make sense to us. And this is exactly why Paul is having trouble here with the Galatian churches. That's why he would have trouble with us. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles whose slaves you want to be once more? Remember last week I mentioned that that word elementary principles could be seen in a few ways. And here... Paul is using it in the context of the false gods there in verse 8. Essentially what he's asking is, now that you are known by God, why are you enslaving yourselves to those pagan gods once more? And the example that he gives for that enslavement may seem like it has nothing to do with us, but there are lots of applications for the church today. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. The Jewish calendar, of course, is full of days and seasons and years that are important to the Jewish believer or the the Jewish unbeliever. There are all kinds of feasts, the Day of Atonement, the Jewish New Year. There's uh, Hanukkah, which wasn't necessarily a biblical thing, but it was still a very important holiday to the Jews because of their history. There was, of course, Passover, and then there was the weekly holiday that they had called the Sabbath. And each of these were not only important to the Jewish folks, but they also defined... Their religion. It was literally how they interacted with God. To truly feel close to God, a true Jew practiced all the days, all the months, all the years. The closer you are to God, your closeness to God is proportional to the amount of Jewishness you exhibited. The Judaizers, of course, were making a really big deal about circumcision. We've been talking about this, but from Paul's tone here, it's obvious that they were making the idea of these holidays and these special times a big deal as well. And we wouldn't know anything about that in the church today, right? Following holidays in order to show the magnitude of our faith, in order to feel closer to God. We wouldn't know anything about that, would we? Christianity is full of holidays. Some of them have even attached themselves, I wouldn't say attached themselves, we've attached to them some biblical significance. For a few of those holidays, we've attached so much significance to them that they even sometimes seem to have some biblical merit, right? We're like, what do you mean that's not in the Bible? How can you be a Christian and not celebrate Easter? How can you be a Christian and not celebrate Christmas? Even me saying that may have caused a few of you to cringe a little bit. Is Mike suggesting that we not celebrate Easter? Not at all. It's not wrong to celebrate Easter or Christmas any more than it's wrong for you to choose not to eat meat on Fridays. Or to give up chocolate for a month. Or to have all the mothers stand up one day out of the year and clap for them. Or to sing, My Country Tis of Thee, in the church on the 4th of July. If Christmas and Easter bring us closer to God, then why do we need Jesus? Can't we just go all in on Christmas and Easter? Maybe throw a Mother's Day in there to boot? To fill our closeness quota for the year? These aspects of our Christian faith are as much religion as anything we dream up. When we say the words, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And if we believe they bring us closer to God, then we don't understand how sinful we are without Jesus. And we don't understand that only Jesus brings us closer to God. Why do we preach the gospel of Jesus every week? Because we don't need more religion. We need more Jesus. And where do we hear about them? Where do we hear about Jesus? Here. In the corporate worship of the saints, in the songs that we sing together, in the prayers that we pray, in the sacrament that we take together. Yes, it is a relationship. And thanks be to God that our closeness in that relationship isn't dependent upon how religious we are. Because if it was, we'd all be doomed. And the holidays thing can be translated really to any act that we think, that we think somehow moves the meter between God and us. Jesus is the only one who's ever moved it, and it's currently at a hundred. But we're suckers for this kind of thing. This is evidenced by the fact That the best-selling Christian books every year are written by people who claim to feel a distinct closeness to God. And they have instructions for us about how we can feel that way too. They're the best-selling ones every year. Remember the truth of the gospel never seems to come up. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is why the church is so important for the life of faith relationship with Christ, by necessity, involves those with whom you are united to Christ. Imagine someone saying, I really like you, but I don't want anything to do with your spouse. In fact, I'd come visit you more often if your spouse wasn't at home. I'm so closely linked to my wife that if someone came up to me and said, I love you, but I don't like Emily, can we still have a good relationship? It would be an unequivocal No the church needs each other. And we see that very clearly in Paul's admonitions to the Galatian churches and that brings us to the second point, our relationship with each other. Look look at verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Paul is saying here that when that here that he left the Jewish traditions Behind in order to more closely relate with those Gentile churches. Again, he's not saying those traditions are bad. Understand that. But they're not necessary for the life of a believer. So he left them behind to only preach Christ and Him crucified. As a result, the church loved Him. Verse 13 and 14. This is how much they loved Him. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. The Galatian churches loved Paul. Even while he was sick, they took care of him. This is the picture of the gospel, is it not? The picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Showing their relationship to one another. Verse 15 suggests that they loved Paul so much that they would have plucked out their eyes for him. Which is why he asked the question, why, why have you turned against me? What changed them so drastically? It was turning their back to, to Paul and turning back to the elementary principles of the faith these pagan gods, which Paul equates with their traditions. Verse 16 and 17. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. The truth comes out here as the reality is that the Judaizers only want to use the Galatians to puff up their own pride. They aren't concerned for their spiritual well-being, but for their own pride Contrast that with Paul's love and concern. Notice he refers to them as my little children. Verse 20. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed with you. He wishes he could be with them in person to be able to change his tone with them. Anytime we have to discipline a child, you're familiar with this, those of you who've had to do this, you know this feeling. We wish we didn't have to do it. We wish we'd only ever be able to say pleasant things, right, and good things. But sometimes that kind of discipline is necessary. As a pastor, there have been times over the years that I've had to use a more stern voice when speaking with people in the church. So I understand where Paul's coming from here completely. It's not as if I enjoy those times, so we don't need to understand here that Paul is enjoying this admonition of the church. I don't look forward to having to do that. I don't look forward to that in my role here, or in Presbytery, having to discipline another pastor. It's never fun. I always wish that those times would never come, that I'd only ever have to use pleasant tones, but sadly, we live in a sinful world and we continue to battle with the flesh so again, this is why that the relationship that we have with one another is so crucial. This is why I push things like hosting each other in your homes, meeting together. This is why I encourage biblical counseling. And not just in a formal setting, but just two people getting together, talking about their struggles with one another, being honest. It's a good thing. This is why the writer of Hebrews gives us the command... To meet together in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. So we'll look at this passage again together. Just going to read 19 through 25. So we can get some of the context. Especially considering the context we have in Galatians. Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean, From an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Not to the elementary principles of the world, so to speak. But let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up. To love and good works. And how could we possibly do all those things? Well, he tells us. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have this great thing that has happened. We have been given access to the relationship with God directly. We are considered His sons and daughters through adoption. He came to us, and now we can go to Him. And we demonstrate this when we meet together as His people. The relationship that we have with one another shows the shared relationship that we have with the Father. And this is why we should not neglect meeting together, but encourage one another as we wait for the return of Jesus. We should continually be stirring one another up to love and to good works. And then when we see someone, understand this too, when we see someone drifting toward that enslavement of the elementary principles... What did we do? As we're gathering together, we pull them back, right? This isn't just the job of the elders and the pastor. This is the job of the entire group to pull them back. I mean, if you ever, if you ever come to me for counseling, I'm only going to tell you one thing. I'm going to tell you the gospel because that's all you need. You need the gospel. Those times when we were drifting away, It's not because we need three things to make us better people. It's because we're forgetting the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need Jesus. We don't stop needing Him because we have a legal relationship with Him. In fact, we need to be daily reminded of that. That we can never slip away from Him in the slightest. Christians, we are sons and daughters of the King. We are known by the Creator. He has redeemed our souls, as we sang this morning, taking our sin and assigning to us His very righteousness. Stop running to those shackles that enslave. Stop trying to lock yourself back into that prison cell, thinking that you have to work for nearness to the Father. You are free. Rest in Jesus and live a life in relationship to Him, free from the bondage of sin and death. If you're here today and you're not a believer, the answer is the same for you. There's no secret formula at all. There's no words to repeat after me or anything like that. Jesus came preaching two things, repent and believe. Repent, turn from your life of sin, believe, Believe that Jesus is Lord, that He has been risen from the dead, and you can be saved. If you remain in your sin, the wrath of God remains on you. Instead, turn to Jesus, call upon His name, and be saved. In conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, stop turning back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. We all have Jesus, and we have all of Jesus. So live as if that's true. And offer that hope to the lost world. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to You again, we are thankful for the truth of Your Word. Lord, help us as we continue to turn back to those weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Help us to turn only to You and to find rest and peace in You. And Lord, help us to give this message to a lost world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.